is Dawn, and you are listening to This Little Light. I have an intro now. You guys love it? It's going to be at the end as well. I did it myself. Actually, me and Eli did it, but quite proud of myself. So, now that I have an intro, I feel super official, and I need to make an apology to you guys. I completely forgot about recording. That's where I'm at in my life right now. <laughs> um, after the last episode, I had had every intention of just recording with one of my friends for Black History Month. And due to our schedules, it just didn't happen. She's a mom of five. And I mean, on top of working, we work together. Um, yeah, it just didn't happen, and I was like, by that Thursday afternoon, I was like, you know what, it's just not going to happen, that's fine, and I had every intention of recording the next week, no big deal, yeah, no, I got, I'm super busy right now, so I'm not going to make any promises about having one out every week, having a new episode out every week, I want to, that is the intention, and that's my heart, but, whoo, y'all, things are wild right now, and that's okay, that, that's fine, it is all fine (laughs) so I am very sorry and thank you to everyone who reached out and was like hey you good I'm good guys I just uh, it's busy it's a busy time right now (laughs) but with all of that being said we're gonna jump back in like we never missed a beat I am going to talk about something that I have been studying at length It's two of the things that I like talking about the most, honestly, because they're such a parallel of each other. One in, like, of the spirit, the spirit realm. That sounds so, like, ooh, but it's not that way, guys. It doesn't have to be that way. We are are spiritual beings. I mean, right? Like, it doesn't have to be weird. So, what we're going to be talking about today is reset versus revival. Your girl's going to be going into the Great Reset. But also, we're going to expose that lie using revival in the history of revivals in since our nation's birth. It is so incredible. God is a God who does amazing things, obviously. But watching the pattern and how this is played out, I'm going to go in detail with y'all. What I'm not going to do, though, is I have notes on notes on notes on notes of revival history and I'm going to read because I found something that is equally as good and I'm going to give you more details and I'm going to share that by itself but someone condensed everything I have and I'm going to give you a little Dawn paraphrase version for lack of better words um, of what led up and all that but I'm going to be reading a lot from that and I'm also going to be reading a lot today from articles on the internet from pdfs from the world economic forums website everything I talk about today in both revival and reset can be found online and I will be more than happy to share all of that with you so we're just going to jump into this and we're going to start with the current state. We've already heard about my current state of life. It's just busy, right? But we're going to talk about the current state of the world overall, right? So let's start with Canada. 
Oh, Canada. <laughs> I didn't mean that, but that's funny. I am punny. <laughs> but Canada has always held such a special place in my heart. I don't know why I've always put Canada on this pedestal of like super nice people and like you can't beat them. And when you get to the border of the United States and Canada, you are met by like a Mountie on a majestic moose given a bottle of maple syrup and they're just so nice like that was the version of Canada I had right and then COVID hit and Justin Trudeau has definitely put a damper on my, my overall view of Canada but the trucker convoy restored my faith in my beloved Canadian friends right so that was probably, I don't know if there will ever be a protest, quote unquote, protest in history that includes bouncy castles, snowball fights, singing, dancing, like food trucks. I don't know if that will ever happen again. That was the most well-organized, peaceful protest that has probably ever existed ever. I don't know that, but in my mind, as long as I've been alive, that is the most peaceful protest I have ever seen. These people were literally just living and being what I thought Canadians are just amazing, incredible humans, right? So, anyway, we see Ottawa lose its mind a couple weeks ago. And I watched that play out in real time, and I was just devastated. My heart hurt so much for these people because of the restrictions that have been placed on these people. They can't even do their jobs, and it's just insane. So that, that you have that, right? And then we have Ukraine and Russia, and there's so much. You don't know who's telling the truth about what. What I do know is that there are innocent people involved on both sides and if you are spending time in prayer for ukraine praying for the innocent people in ukraine that are having to deal with the repercussions of our world leaders actions you better spend as much time praying for the people the innocent people in russia that have literally been cut off from everything their money along with the canadians their assets have been frozen like they've been cut off from the intranet like innocent people, just human beings who are citizens of Russia have nothing to do what's going on with what's going on in Ukraine. They're literally just Russians. And we have Americans justifying this, saying, yo, it needs to happen because they're just as evil as Putin. And then on the flip side of that, you have reporters from MSNBC saying, Hitler really wasn't that bad. You know, he didn't kill people who spoke German. Do you even know? Like, what is happening? So that's where the... I can't get into that because... Ooh, we... That, that will send me spiraling. <laughs> but can we just discuss for a second? Remember when I did the Holocaust episode? And... I was talking about the stages of genocide. 
we're seeing this play out in real time. We are being manipulated. We are gaslighting is a very real thing. And people are eating this up. Like, they're... We have people who are so like, it's hypnosis in a way, because we have people who seriously think, and I've seen the the proof myself from people I know personally who are so blindsided and refuse to look outside of their little rose-colored glasses, for lack of better words, that they're saying that inflation and gas prices and all of these things it's for democracy are you kidding me and they're agreeing that this is not joe biden's fault what what you're me you mean to tell me that because joe biden said that this is putin's fault you're gonna do this like the reason gas is so high is because it's vladimir putin's fault what like russia invaded ukraine like recently like within the last couple of weeks right not a year ago when he became president so or two years ago i don't even know i feel like it's been forever 2021 was when he came in i literally feel like we have already been in this for four years and i think that started with 2020 i know you guys have just heard me rant but just hang with me because it's all going to tie in together right so we have we had 2020 and that felt like it lasted forever because you're waking up every day and it was something new man like it was crazy we had covid then we had like um the killer hornets or whatever they were and the monkeys that stole the coronavirus lab things and like it was insane you had all the blm stuff the protests the chaz thing it was something every day and i feel like since we've been on that path it has it's like snowballed right so this is where we're at in our current like physical state where we live like what's going on around us on our day to day right so what we're going to do is we're going to break down we're going to expose a lie first reset because this is going to make sense when you hear it all play out just hang with me i know it's a lot and what i don't want to happen is for you to get overwhelmed and to get like anxious and to get worried or scared about anything i'm telling you because this is just factual information that we god has chosen us for right now to be where we're at so i don't want you to get overwhelmed with anything i'm telling you we are necessary for right now we have a purpose right now so we have to expose the lie and the lie is a lot but hallelujah we get to speak truth to the lie because god god is still in control all that's going on around us he sees it he's not surprised he's not like caught off guard by anything he knows and he's allowing things to happen that means our purpose right now we have to do what we have to do and that means being willing to face the truth of what is happening and why it's happening and who's funding what's happening so we have to be willing to accept that then speak truth to it and realize there is there's good on the way god is good he is faithful he sustains and he's sufficient and it's gonna be all right guys so what i don't want you to do is get freaked out don't do that hear me out hear what i have to say and then pray into what your purpose is in this so we're going to jump into it. The word reset. 
literally means to set, adjust, or fix in a new or different way. Before we jump into the great reset, we're going to talk about Klaus Schwab for a second. If you don't know that name, you need to do some research on your own. Like always, guys, do your own research. Study to show yourself approved, right? So Klaus Schwab is a German engineer and economicist. Economicist. <laughs> Economist. Oh, my gosh. Founder and executive chairman of the World Economic Forum. Now, like I said, do your own research, dig into him a little bit more, and you will be, hmm, you'll start to question a little bit more. But the World Economic Forum, in case you don't know, this is all on their website. It's an international, non-governmental, and lobbying organization in Switzerland, funded by 1,000 member companies, which are global enterprises, with more than 5 billion U.S. dollars in turnover and public subsidies. The mission of the World Economic Forum, or the WEF, is improving the state of the world by engaging businesses, political, academic, and other leaders of society to shape global, regional, and industry agendas. So keep the word agendas in mind. Some of the companies that I just talked about, the five billion US dollar companies under that fund the WEF that are in cahoots. I'm gonna say that word a lot today. I love that word. It is one of my favorite things and I've said it a lot recently because everybody's in cahoots. The more you dig into things, the more you start to realize it's all they're all in that together. They ain't in it with us. Remember in 2020 when we were all covid Listen, they were in it together. They weren't in it with us. They were in it together. And you're going to find out why. Some of these companies that are affiliated with the WEF, I'm just going to read all that I have on my list because there's so many more. Once again, you can go to the website and look for yourself. Boeing, Lockheed Martin, Honeywell, Anheuser-Busch, Bayer, Coca-Cola, Nestle, Pepsi, Tyson Foods, Honda, Hyundai, Toyota, Volvo, Marriott, Visa, Bank of America, Bank of China, Bars Clay, BBVA, Citi, Euroclear, Goldman Sachs, HSBC, Johannesburg Stock Exchange, uh, J.P. Morgan, Chase & Company, MasterCard, NASDAQ, PayPal, the RBC, which is the Royal Bank of Canada, Saudi National Bank, Standard Bank Group, AARP, boy, hold on to your socks for the next ones that are coming, AstraZeneca, the American Heart Association, Abbott Laboratories, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, CVS Health, GE, Johnson & Johnson, Mayo Clinic, Moderna, Merrick, Pfizer, YMCA of the U.S., BP, Chevron, Indian Oil, Shell, China Merchant Group, UPS, LinkedIn, Gucci, L'Oreal, Procter Gamble, uh, Ralph Lauren, the Lego brand, Unilever, Walmart, William Sonoma, Nokia, Randstad, Bloomberg, Dow Jones, Google, uh, Meta slash Facebook because Meta is still very weird for me. The New York Times, the Omnicon Group, Sony Group, NBC Universal, Yahoo, Adobe, Apple, Amazon, IBM, NTL, 
or Intel, I can't talk, sorry guys, Microsoft and so many more. That's just to name a few. So you've got literally our money, then we have our food supply, and then we have all of our social media, our news outlets, the people that we use for like PlayStations and Xbox, all of those things. Everything is connected, right? So keep that in mind. All right, now you've got, we've got that in mind. We're thinking about it. And what does the World Economic Forum do exactly? So what they do is they hold four major annual meetings throughout the year. The first meeting is at the beginning of the year, and it's called the WEF Annual Meeting. And it shapes global, regional, and industry agendas at the beginning of the calendar year. The second meeting they hold is the Annual Meeting of the New Champions. It goes over innovation, science, and technology, and it's held in the People's Republic of China. The third meeting is the annual meeting of the Global Future Councils. And in this meeting, this is straight from the website, world's leading knowledge community gets together to share insight on major challenges facing the world today. And the last meeting throughout the year that they hold is the industry strategy meeting. And what this does, they have officers, industry strategy officers. They shape industry agendas and explore how industries shift from managing change to pioneering change. So, what essentially happens is that these people, these world leaders, people, important people with a lot of money, I'm talking like all your world leaders, you got Trudeau, Zelensky, Biden, oh, Prince Charles, like big people, right? Prime ministers from all the countries and presidents and princes and princesses and all these people, these world leaders, these people in big, 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 important positions, decision-making like positions, right? And then on the flip side of that, you got all your, for lack of better words, elitist. You got your $5 billion people. Bill and Melinda Gates. Bill and Melinda Gates. Then you've got your high ups at like Coca-Cola, Pepsi, MasterCard, Visa, all of these people. You've got all of these people who are in control. Nestle, Procter & Gamble, all these people in control of food. Oh, Toyota, Hyundai, Honda, all these people coming together. Our, the way we get places. Oh, our our oil, Shell, Chevron, all of those people, those important people there, our food supply, and like where we shop, what we do, like Walmart and all that, right? So you got all those important people come together with the world leaders and they're shaping the world for us because we don't need an input on that, right? Like what we say doesn't matter. And remember in other episodes, Ecclesiastes 1-9, there's nothing new under the sun. Guys, this has been going on a long time. This The WF was founded like in the 70s. But before that, people were doing this. Like they, they got together. These world leaders would get together and discuss things, right? That's how it should be, theoretically. Because parallel, right? In the kingdom, 
we're supposed to get together. We're supposed to fellowship. We're supposed to discuss our ideas. We're supposed to hold each other accountable. But we have a standard. Our standard is the Word of God and nothing less. Nothing more, nothing less. Now, these people, their standard is whatever narrative and agenda, because they use that word a lot, agenda they think is for the overall good of everyone in the world. So they have themes for these like summits. They're summits and conferences. Think think like if you do church conferences, right? Think if you had a setup of like four of them throughout the year, but you have an overall theme. So we're gonna start back. Once again, nothing new under the sun. 2010, the theme of this meeting that they got together and host every year is the global redesign. If you could redesign the world, what would you do? 2011, driving growth through sustainability. 2012, the great transformation. Uh, and it's shaping new models. That was like the what we're doing in this great transformation. Um, 2013, it's resilient. Oh gosh, this word is hard for me. Dynan, dynanism. Dynanism. Not dynamic, because there's no C in there. Look these up for yourself. They're all still out there. Don't you judge me for saying the words I do. <laughs> I have a hard time talking. <laughs> so 2014, the reshaping of the world and its consequences for society, politics, and business. 2015 was the fourth industrial revolution, which is the digital revolution. 2016, mastering the fourth industrial revolution. 2017, responsible and responsible leadership. Um, or responsive and responsible leadership. 2018 is creating a shared future in a fractured world. 2019 was globalization 4.0. Now everything got messed up in 2020 and they didn't meet. But enter 2021. The Great Reset. Now the reason I started in 2010 was because A, I had just started really adulting then. I was out doing things like, and you're going to realize something escalated to get us to where 2010, that theme, what happened prior to that. So once again, hold on to your socks for what's coming. Okay. So, you holding on? All right, so here we go. The Great Recession officially lasted from December 2007 to June 2009. The U.S. housing market went from booming to busted and sent us all into an economic slump. According to a 2011 report, the Financial Crisis Inquiry Commission, or done by the Financial Crisis Inquiry Commission, the Great Recession was completely avoidable. This report claimed that the government failed to regulate the financial industry, and this includes the Fed's ability to curb crazy amounts of toxic mortgage lending. 
Too many financial firms took on too much risk. Excessive borrowing by consumers, corporations, and lawmakers. Now, during this time, in the U.S. alone, 8.7 million jobs were lost, causing unemployment to double. July 21, 2010, President Obama enacted the Dodd-Frank Act, which gave the government, yes, the federal government, control of failing financial institutions, and it also gave them the ability to establish consumer protections against predatory lending. Now, these same institutions and financial sector players that actively drove and profited from the excessive lending during these big bubbles were heavily involved in drafting this very act. They were involved heavily with the Obama administration because a lot of them were from and dealing with the World Economic Forum. It's weird, right? It's weird. It's kind of weird. Yeah, so let's let's re recap here. We had the recession. It ended in 2009, started in 2007, ends in 2009. And at that time, I, like I said, I had just started adulting. And things were coming around for me. I was a mom. I had just became a mom. And I was working two jobs. Uh, that's when 2009 into 2010 was when I got when we got divorced me and my oldest son's dad got divorced and reality smacked me real hard in the face I was working a lot I was tired Uh, H1N1 was going on let's not forget that happened the swine flu happened in the mix of all of this right so we had the recession the swine flu and me personally I can't imagine what it was like on a grander scale. I'm working a couple different jobs. I'm dealing with life. It was hard. It was tough, right? So me, just in my little regular self, trying to figure out life at 21, 22, 23 years old, (laughs) the U.S. government, all right? And this is when I started, like, getting very aware of what was going on around me, right? So the U.S. government spent $7.87 billion dollars in deficit spending, attempting to stimulate the economy under the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act. This act did very little to help people like me, like people like me and you, just our regular old folk, right? But these big businesses and financial institutions that were all caught up and caused the economic slump to begin with, who deserved to fail, were the ones who greatly benefited from this act because we bailed them out. We gave them the federal government, due to the the act that he put in place, the, um, I have to look at it, sorry, the Dodd-Frank Act, because I always want to miss the words of the Frank Dodd, but it's the Dodd-Frank Act. Because of that, he bailed those people out the people who sent us spiraling and caused all kinds of chaos people lost everything right so these people like me and you just regular people suffered greatly from this but these big corporations the housing industry and these big companies who are closely tied into the world economic forum 
also benefited greatly from this. They're the ones who, the ones who got bailed out, the ones who were taken care of this whole time, they're the ones this helped. So, we suffered the elite sword. So, that just, I have to pull it together on that. I'm gonna pull it together. The Dow Jones Industrial Average lost over half its value from August 2007 um, and began to recover in March 2009. And in March 2013, it finally broke its 2007 high. Unemployment was at 5% at the end of 2007. It reached 10% by October 2009 and finally dropped back down to 5% in 2015. So, I want you just to listen to what is coming next. I want you to hear me with open ears, okay? I don't want, actually, I don't want you to hear me. I want you to listen to what happened after the Great Recession. We had the World Economic Forum that got together at the beginning of 2010 with the redesign, the global redesign theme to discuss how they were going to handle reshaping the world as we knew it after H1N1 and the Great Recession. So during these like global, this global redesign meeting, they give proposals, these people who got together, these world leaders, these very, 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 very rich individuals who control our food, supply, the cars we drive, where we shop, and all the things coming into that. These people are the ones who got together and brought these proposals, and these were the big topics, right? And I'm going to elaborate on what was discussed. You can find this online for yourself. If I can do it, you can do it too. I absolutely encourage you to go back and look at this, because this is where things started to tie in together, right? For me, I have been studying this at length for months. That's a good thing, I guess, about me taking a break for a bit because y'all, I have de dedicated my time to the word revivals and resets. And whoo, y'all, it made me, there's a righteous anger in me that I don't even know, I don't even know that I had tapped into that part of me yet because it's not okay. I have to stop. I can't say anything else because I'm going to spiral. We're not going to spiral. So, the proposals. This is what was discussed at the Global Redesign meeting. So, on the first, the Global Agenda Con Council on Education Systems. Then there's the Global Agenda Council on Faith. Then there's the Global Agenda Council on the Future of Entertainment slash Marketing and Branding. It's a joint proposal. <laughs> this one. Whew. Global Agenda Council on the Gender Gap. Global Agenda Council on Philanthropy and Social Investing. Global Agenda Council on Values. And the Global Agenda Council on the Welfare of Children. Those were the proposals, right? So, we're going to elaborate a little on each topic i encourage you to go back find this pdf i will share it you guys know where to find me 
I am at Facebook. I am, if you know me, call me. If you text me, do whatever. I will gladly send you the link for all of this so you can dig into it for yourself. So the Global Agenda Council on Education Systems, it was to redesign financial uh, schemes. That's what I, oh, yeah, financial schemes. My writing was awful on this, sorry. Uh, And devise new approaches to assessment for learning or for a better learning society. And then there was share free educational resources and advanced education and professional development of teachers. Now, how does this tie in to the people who are bringing in all the money and our global leaders, our world leaders, I guess? These people want to do what's good, quote unquote, for the overall good of the economy. Where does the funding for public school come from? The government, correct? The government, these world leaders who do not necessarily hold the biblical standard that we hold are the ones who are shaping and redesigning the school systems. The ones who are pouring into these teachers, right? So they're pushing their agenda on the school system. Kids, your kindergartners, your little babies, your impressionable middle schoolers, your think they're grown high schoolers, your public school teachers are being told what they can and can't teach and what they're going to teach by and being funded by our world leaders or our government who was given an agenda to focus on throughout the rest of the year. Keep that in mind. Now the next, the next, this one, the Council on Faith. Oh gosh. Realign collective moral compass by tapping into faith traditions. And these are the principles for a moral economy, according to the World Economic Forum. Dignity and human flourishing, common good of the global community, and stewardship of the environment. So, what they're saying here is they even said this. I'm going to read a quote. I have to find it really quick. Um, it's time for a new moral economy the current economic crisis a crisis of values presents an opportunity to realign a collective moral compass in part by tapping into faith traditions which serve as sources of identity and ethical orientation for individuals families communities and societies To do so, the Council on Faith is proposing principles for a moral economy. The faith groups are well-placed to trigger and lead the dialogue around these principles. With over 80% of the world's population adhering to a religion, faith leaders and communities have a massive potential for impact in creating shifts in mindsets needed to create a moral economy. Did you hear what I was saying? 
So, let's break that one down. The people that you put your trust into to teach you about whatever it is that you believe in and whatever religion that you follow, whether it be Christianity and the different denominations within, the World Economic Forum, the people with all the money and our global leaders wanted to use those people who you trust the most to teach you according to their standard, what they think the moral compass is, their moral compass versus whatever it is, like us Christians, the standards that Jesus set in the Bible and the word of God, which it should be our moral compass. They want you to throw that out the window, teach what they have that's the overall good for everyone else. So we're going to elaborate more on that in just a moment just a moment all right so the next one is the future of entertainment slash marketing and branding this is to galvanize a global community of like-minded people from across the marketing media entertainment and technology industries to help change the world do you guys remember we're all in this together all the celebrities the world problem was solved the epidemic the pandemic whatever when the celebrities got together and sang imagine by john lennon peace was restored <laughs> this is where we were at now it makes sense why this happens these people that we idolize which we shouldn't that we have just look up to our kids look up to and want to be like are being told and branded by the world economic forum on what they need to push out to the to the regular folk to the people who want to be like them so keep that in mind as well this next one let's get hold on to your socks the gender gap so the gender gap who these are the the breakdown of what was in that proposal so on a societal level the goal was to increase women's savings and productive investments and expenditures the next one was on an organizational level and the goal was to decrease the wage gap <laughs> the wage gap Ooh, so household level increase intra-household bargaining power and family income now political participation and opportunity the goal here was to increase women's political participation and in education it's increase female school enrollment and performance and there was a list of how they were going to do that and it's like free school uniforms and scholarships and school vouchers in different parts of the world um to help promote education for women oh and health this is where i need you to to be prepared because good glory (laughs) good glory the goal was to decrease 
violence against women. Wholeheartedly agree with that one. Got you. The next one was increase girls' health. And the way they wanted to do this was an introduction of health camps in preschools. Now, the next goal is to decrease teen pregnancy. And then the way they were going to do this was by providing information on the relative risk of HIV. Mm -hmm. So the next goal was to increase knowledge of test results. So they're going to put more money into HIV and STI testing. Um, So the goal, the next goal, here we go, guys. You ready? Decrease fertility. And the way they were going to do this was by introduction of cable television in rural India. So in India, they wanted to decrease fertility by giving the women something to watch on television. Just let that soak in. Let that, let that just marinate for a minute. But the overall goal for all of it was to decrease fertility. The way they were going to do that in India specifically was give them cable. They didn't elaborate on how they were going to do that throughout the rest of the world. So, the next goal and last goal is to improve maternal health. And that was just by elimination of small user fees on bed nets for pregnant women and mothers in health clinics. Okay, so... We're going to solve the world's problem with cable TV. Hallelujah. The last goal, or the last proposal, I'm sorry, um, was philanthropy and social investing. And the way they were going to do this is social competitive, competitive, gosh, competitiveness, competitiveness. I told you all I can't talk. I don't know what's wrong with me. I think it's because I'm like trying to, uh, not spiral here and get angry. I have a spirit of (laughs) self-control, but my mouth is struggling for this. (laughs) Anyway, rank countries according to the effectiveness of their legal, fiscal, and cultural environment. And the rest of that, they were going to elaborate on social innovation. And that is a meaningful tool for decision makers. So they were going to use this, hmm, SCI is what they called it. That's what we're going to refer to it as because I ain't going to try to say that word again. Um, they're going to rely on the SCI, the decision makers, the people in power, to benchmark the country's ability to tackle social and environmental problems. Oh, I said that was the last one. I'm sorry. There's two more. I'm so sorry. But, um, yeah. They're going to put every, like, they're going to use a scale, just a standard scale for all countries of, like, where they're at and how they're taking on the social and environmental environmental problems. So let that one marinate, too. The next one is conflict of values. And that one, who it says on there, it's crucial element in global re design conflict of values yes and this is to facilitate the examination and development of appropriate values 
the appropriate values that they said across the board for the Council on Values and how they were going to do that, the conflict of values, this, so the conflict of values, their values were, let me find them really quick. Okay, so I'm so sorry I'm looking on the website here. Values are crucial. Here we go. Values are crucial motivating elements in the realms of choice, judgment, and decision making. An awareness of the conflict of values helps us to align our enlightened self interest with our obligations and responsibilities toward the common good on a global scale. A perspective that emphasizes conflict uh, in the operation of values is better able to deal with the multicultural conditions of a global society for two reasons. First, such an approach explicitly acknowledges that groups and persons differ in their interpretation of values and value commitments are among the strongest and important of all human commitments. Secondly, it stresses the importance of, here's their values, compassion, empathy, respect, understanding, putting oneself in another's place as a way of overcoming conflict and exploring the most appropriate political, political, institutional, and personal ways of making accommodations. So, overall, <laughs> they're saying that across the board, we need to have the same values, which I agree with their values. We should have those values, but across the board, we should all bend to each other based on those values to work together for the common good. So, equality. Let's let's go there. I hear you. Equality is a big thing. Got you. All for it in different, in a way. Let's just go that. I will never compromise what the Word of God says for someone else's agenda. So, as a Christian, where same-sex marriage is an issue, for me, I would have to bend to someone's agenda in that area for the overall good of the world. Okay? So, um, and the last one is the welfare of children. <laughs> the welfare of children. Whew. So, improved condition of children worldwide. That is the overall goal. And I hear you. I hear you. But how do they plan on doing this? Through government-funded institutions, which also are pushing an agenda. So... There is all of that. I want to give you next some of the key events that's happened from 2010 all the way to 2020. In 2010, we had the first female prime minister elected in Australia. Remember, close 
the gender gap. We want women to be a part of all things in politics and whatever. Women need a place. Okay, so Ireland and Greece have an economic crisis. There's the BP oil spill. There is WikiLeaks, Julian Assange, and iPads come on the scene. There's a lot that went down in 2010, right? So, 2011, Osama bin Laden was killed. And then, let's see. Okay, Japan was hit with a massive earthquake and tsunami leading to nuclear disaster in that country. And then we had the Occupy Wall Street protest. 2012, scientists discovered the guard or guard, the God particle. Obama was re-elected and Putin was re-elected and Sandy Hook happened. 2013, um, BLM movement gains momentum. Ebola, the Boston bombing. Snowden exposed the NSA surveillance programs. Bitcoin surge. Uh, and let's see, Jeffrey Bezos bought Washington Post. 2014, MH370 disappears, ISIS gains momentum, an expansion of ISIS gains momentum, um, the Malaysia Airlines Flight 17 shot down by surface to air missile over Ukraine. And that was in 2014. 2015, the U.S. legalizes same-sex marriages, Zika comes on the scene, and that's across South Africa and quarantined parts set up or quarantine post set up at ports, airports, and hospitals across the world. 2016, Britain left the EU. Donald Trump was elected president. The Davis Climate Agreement or the Paris Climate Agreement, I can't read my own writing, I'm sorry. And the scientists invent the CRISPR like slash Cas9, which edits and deletes DNA. 2017, Texas church shooting, Las Vegas strip shooting, Charlottesville white supremacy march gains momentum. Hashtag Me Too. 2018, there were the California wildfires, Brett Kavanaugh, sexual assault allegation, and let's see. The U.S. China trade war begins, and we pass the bill to build the wall. 2019, uh, Donald Trump went to North Korea, Operation Kayla Mueller. If you don't know what that is, Google Google what Trump had to say about that. Um, Jeffrey Epstein committed suicide, the Walmart shooting, the Hong Kong protest, Greta Thunberg comes on the scene, and then there's all these protests demanding climate action, and then Donald Trump was impre- or impeached. Now, 2020, we all know, we all know what happened in 2020. Now remember, there's nothing new under the sun. In 2007 to 2009, there was the swine flu epidemic. We created the vaccine. 54 people died, and that was the end of that. We said, no more, we can't do that. People were really sick. I remember a little girl that I went to church with, actually. She ended up getting it. And she was really sick. Like, really, really sick. It was a very, like, hmm, 
this is a thing. But there was no lockdowns. There was business went about as usual. There were no masks. There was nothing like that. The world kept moving despite what was happening. Then we had the Great Recession in the middle of all of this, and people were being bailed out, and or the big companies and your people with money already who caused the problem were being bailed out where we're still suffering. You have all these events happen throughout the years. Remember, like we're talking, oh, the BLM movement gains momentum and we're pushing narratives, we're pushing agendas and all the celebrities are commenting, coming out and saying, hashtag me too, Alyssa Milano played a big part of that. And then we had the whole Hillary Clinton thing and we have Madonna coming out and saying a lot of things she shouldn't have said and Ashley Judd did the same thing and it was really bad and then we had women's marches and all these women's rights and same-sex marriages and all these things are being pushed at the same time from 2010 where we had discussed we want our faith leaders and our education system and the celebrities and everything that shapes up our world and the people in it and all the people we look up to and the people teaching our kids and the gender gap all of those things they're all tying into one another. Do you see how everything's connected now, right? The people with the monies and the authorities <laughs> are the ones telling the other people with money and authority in our lives that we give them, whether it be a celebrity or a pastor or whatever you have, we're giving them the authority to speak into, or a teacher, whatever it is, to speak into us regular folk, the ones who were just here. So, we see on our news, and whether it's party-affiliated or not, they're shaping their own agenda and pushing you toward what they want you to believe. While all the chaos ensues around you, and they're feeding that to you 24-7, and the people are talking and doing and being. Now, enter in 2020. We've moved all the way up. Donald Trump's elected. That caused chaos. He's impeached. All the craziness of that. You have Zika. You have all the craziness happening. All the things, right? 2020, COVID hits. World shuts down. Fauci comes on the scene. Get get vaccinated with the mrna vaccine that messes with your dna please look into the vaccine if you haven't i'm not telling you what to do i'm telling you to look into how it's made in the crispers part that we talked about that was developed in the middle of all of this that edits and deletes dna Please look how that is tied into the vaccines. That's all I'm going to say. Remember, also, with the World Economic Forum, AstraZeneca, Pfizer, Moderna, Abbott Laboratories, all of these people are closely, closely related to all of the things they're pushing. So keep that in mind. As you're doing your research. But all of this stuff is happening, right? We see it all and everything's connected. But, but, this is where we get to step on the scene. Romans 8.38. God works together, or God works all things together 
for the good for those who love him. Now, this is where we come into play. This is where we step on the scene. We love him. We serve him well. We, we do what he says to do. His word says, if my people will humble themselves and pray, he will heal our land. We have a part to play in this. We spoke to the lie. We see what the enemy is doing. He's done the same thing over and over and over. In 2010, he tried to redesign it. He tried to shape it to where it would be designed. That way, this is the redesign of everything. 2020, we're going to we we did the thing to reset everything enter in the great reset in 2022 the world economic forum is something like rebuilding trust among leadership and well do you get it now <laughs> like does it make sense does this all start making sense right so while we see what the enemy is doing and we see that he has a plan god has plans for us as well and we are called to be salt and but we are called to go and spread the gospel. Despite the circumstance, despite what we see going on in front of us, we still have a call of God on our life. And we are supposed to be like Jesus and live to the standard that Jesus set for us. Right? Yes, that's what we're supposed to do as men and women of God. We are all called to be ministers of the world. We cannot illuminate anything that's not dark. We cannot be light if there's no darkness. Let's get into revival. I need you to be encouraged by this because it's evident that God is on the edge of something amazing. Throughout history, God has shown up in the darkest times and since our nation's birth since the u.s's birth i'm going to go over this with you i want you to hear how god showed up in the darkest times i'm going to be giving my own little commentary and summing things up but i'm also going to be reading from the article that i found that kind of gives you a brief synopsis of the revival situation there's so much more to this and if you are feeling a little defeated i encourage you go back and study revival and your hope your faith will be renewed obviously go to the word let him renew you let him renew your mind daily we're not we're not supposed to conform to the ways of the world right he gives us the bible talks about renewing our minds and it has to be a daily thing let him speak truth to you in this all right so we're going to jump right into the revivals the great awakening now this guy has it from 1734 to 1743 in december 1734 the first revival of historic significance broke out in Northampton, Massachusetts, where a young Jonathan Edwards was pastor. After months of fruitless labor, he reported five or six people converted, one a young woman. He wrote, she had been one of the greatest company keepers in the whole town. He feared her conversion would douse the flame, but quite the opposite took place. 300 souls converted in six months 
in a town of only 1,100 people. The news spread like wildfire, and similar revivals broke out in over 100 towns. Starting in Philadelphia in 1739, George Whitfield's dramatic preaching was like striking a match to an already underway awakening. An estimated 80% of America's colonists personally heard Whitfield preach, and he became America's first celebrity. So, let's talk about the Great Awakening a bit. We have the Puritans come over. They want religious freedom. Let's come on. Let's go to the New World. We'll start our own thing. We'll do our own thing. They were good to go. They were full of faith. Zeal, let's do this. Ready to do all that God had for them. They get here and it's like, oh no, what did we sign up for? This is nothing like they imagined it would be. It, The terrain is not what they thought. It's cold. People are getting sick. People are dying. And then you have the Native Americans who were here first. And there's chaos there. And finally, when they all start getting settled and things are going good and... There's a little bit of, you see that people are starting to make money and just go about their day-to-day. Their little settlements are thriving. Enter in the Salem Witch Trials. And that was due to part, part in two. The church played a part in that, the Puritan church. What had happened was they had created, I cannot remember whatever, something, the, the covenant something, or the something covenant. And what that was because they were so busy getting on with their day-to-day they kind of forgot why they came over here to begin with so instead of holding on to their strict religious rules that they had in place for that their specific people they allowed people to enter the church without a water baptism so what that meant was kids the youth of the time could become church members without being baptized and not proving that they were willing to not giving the outward expression of the inward commitment right so what you had happening was church was growing but the people weren't growing they were just there to be there and because there was no accountability there your ministers at the time were considered technically like aristocrats they were held to a higher standard so you have a class you have some class divide here and because the church wasn't doing its part necessarily the younger generation kind of goes a little crazy and starts blaming or saying everybody's a witch everyone's a witch everyone was a witch it was awful the Salem witch trials happened and it things were insane these people i just can't i can't get into that if you ever have the chance to go to salem first of all be prayed up before you go just because you can feel it when you step out of your car it's all around you there's some weird like it's it's you better be prayed up and be secure in who you are and be ready to fight some spiritual wars the entire time you're there but i encourage you to go there to look to physically be in the place where the church did something so crazy that it caused so much death and hurt that it could only take an act of god to 
have people come back around and be willing to even listen to what people had to say. The only thing that reigned in the hysteria of the Salem witch trials was the governor's wife was accused. And he was like, hey, so, uh, no, she's not a witch. We're going to put some firm boundaries in place. Y'all can't be out here acting foolish and saying everybody's a witch when they're not. So, yeah, we're not going to do this anymore. That's the only thing that reigned it in. When somebody up top got got pulled into the mix they were willing to to fight it out among the the commoners but when somebody who had some real power and authority got drug in that's when change happened so at that time we had people dying we had the puritans coming in and setting up and not being really prepared dealing with indians all the chaos all the whatever is happening there then you have the witch trials and all the chaos of that boom god shows up in the first great awakening jonathan edwards george whitfield all this happens paves the way for the american revolution that spirit that zeal that people were feeling their freedom found in god paved the way for these people to stand along with our founding fathers to fight for our freedom not just religious freedom but freedom for individuals as well pave the way to go to become who we are and today pave the way right so boom the second great awakening happens in 1800 to 1840 now i'm gonna read this and then i'm gonna elaborate a little bit in 1800 only one in 15 of america's population uh, belong to an evangelical church. Presbyterian minister James McReady presided over strange spiritual manifestations in Logan County, Kentucky. The resulting camp meeting revivals drew thousands from as far away as Ohio. Um, Reverend Spring reported that for the next 25 years, not a single month passed without news of a revival somewhere. In 1824, Charles Finney began a career that would eventually convert 500,000 to Christ. An unparalleled 100,000 were converted in New York in 1831 alone. Oh, Ros- or Rochester, New York alone, causing the revival to spread to 1,500 towns. By 1850, the nation's population exploded fourfold and those connected to evangelical churches grew nearly tenfold from 7% to 13% of the population. Wow. So, let's talk about events leading up to the Second Great Awakening. The Second Great Awakening, oh me, we had chaos ensuing and division among the, the people at the time. We were coming together as a nation but as people we could not have been more divided because our founding fathers ben franklin thomas jefferson elite or enlightenment i'm sorry was a big deal in deism they believed there was a supreme being but it wasn't god like you do you i do me you believe what you want to believe i believe what i want to believe leave me out of it And enlightenment, the enlightenment was thinking rationally for yourself, not necessarily jumping jumping on a bandwagon, but thinking for yourself and being super engaged in like arts and theater and music and all of those things as well. So 
you had that going on. You had your leaders at the time not really supporting Christian beliefs and not advocating for what the word said to advocate for. Because they were like, e, you do you, I do me. Then you had people seeing the effects of that. <laughs> the effects of leadership not being rooted and grounded in Christ. It There's because up until then, people had only experienced people who had these a moral high ground, for lack of better words. Let's just say that. Um, so we have sexual immorality out there. People are drinking and acting fools. And they're not... They're out here doing whatever they want to do. Because Ben Franklin... Thomas Jefferson, all these people have been like, yeah, you do you. Thomas Paine's involved in this. Like, there's so many people, our founding fathers, yes, hallelujah, they gave us a whole country. They paved the way. They did. They fought a war. The American Revolution had just happened. People have lost everything. So many, there was so much death, but we were coming together as a country, and we were expanding, and we were growing, and, but, oh my gosh, the tension involved, and the anxiety, because people had never lived in a world where there was no religious structure and no one pouring into them so what's God do God does what God does and he shows up on the scene and revival breaks out and the look into this one for yourself there's so much oh my gosh I love talking about um the great awakening and second great awakening but I can't talk too much about it because it would take up so much time this would be 25 years long but the French Revolution was also happening at the time too so they're they're hearing about all the violence and all the destruction from that and the political division because think about Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton like there's so much all these things are happening in front of them and they don't know what to do they don't know what to do so they turn to God and God knows exactly what to do because God is good and he shows up in when we need him, when we call out to him and we have people who are willing to like to step out and be bold and fulfill the call of God on their life, thank you, Jesus, for Charles Finney. Thank you, Jesus, for Jonathan Edwards. Like, these men, these incredible men, helped spread the gospel and continued because of what they chose to do, the legacy. Generations to come started knowing Christ. Let's go into the Businessmen's Revival of 1857 and 1858. In 1857, the North Dutch Church in New York City hired a businessman, Jeremiah Lanfer, to be a lay missionary. He prayed, Lord, what would you have me do? Concerned by the anxious faces of... Uh, Businessmen on the streets of New York City, he decided to open the church at noon so businessmen could pray. The first meeting was set for September 23rd, three weeks before the panic or the bank panic of 1857. Six attended the first week, 20 the next, then 40. Then they switched to daily meetings. Before long, all the space was taken and other churches also began to open up for businessmen's prayer meetings. Revivals broke out everywhere in 1857, spreading throughout the United States and world. Sometimes called the Great Prayer Meeting Revival, an estimated one million people were added to America's church's roles, and as many as one million of the four million existing church members also converted. So, we got the 
Oh, we got the businessman. They, the men, the men are going into the church to pray because the bank panic. Sit on. They don't know what to do. Their money's being messed with. What do we do? What do we do? You are messing with how we provide. You're messing with our jobs, our stability, our structure. You're messing with it all. Who else do we turn to but God? What, what else can we do? So the men got together and the men did something about it. I love it. Let's move on to the Civil War revival of 1861 to 1865. The bitter dispute over slavery thrust our nation into the deadliest war we've ever experienced. By the end, 620,000 Americans lay dead. One out of every 50 of the 31 million people counted in the 1860 census. At the start of the Civil War in 1861, it seemed as though the soldiers for both sides had left their Christianity at home and gone morally berserk. By 1862, the tide had turned, first among the Confederate forces. An estimated 300,000 soldiers were uh, converted, evenly divided between the Northern and Southern armies. So... Civil War. I can't even imagine. Oh, gosh. The Patriot is one of my favorite movies. In case you can't tell, I love history. I love politics. I super love politics. Um, Not just American politics, but super big in the monarchy. Like, I just, I love politics, and I really feel like it could be a ministry. It should be a ministry. That is, what better way to establish it? who we are in the kingdom of God here bring heaven to earth than by being the one in a position of power to do it so that ministry alone will be amazing but the civil war at the time golly can't imagine slavery should have never happened should have never happened should have never happened and the way that the south especially use the word of God to justify their sin mm-mm, unacceptable so we have political division we have people among, well, the political division, first of all, whether history wants to teach us this or not, I hate to burst your Abraham Lincoln bubble here, but he didn't want to end slavery. He did it so the people wouldn't hate him. <laughs> so it wasn't like he just willy-nilly decided, mm, he did it for a reason. There was some motive behind it. I hate to burst your bubble learn some history and then I won't have to do it for you but anyway he didn't want to do it but he did it for the common good of the people good absolutely because the bible makes it very clear Mm -mm. no we don't do that who the sun sets free is free indeed where the spirit of the lord is there is freedom there's freedom in him we cannot own another person you should never own another person it's wrong and the way they treated their slaves completely wrong but God shows up in the middle of the chaos. There's political division. There is division among the people, especially wives are separated from their husbands. Their kids are dying. Like, Jesus, I can't even imagine. But God showed up in the middle of it and saved. He redeemed and restored so many men. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That is incredible. So we're going to jump into the urban revivals from 1875 to 1885. Young businessman Dwight L. Moody participated in the Great Revival of 1857 as it swept Chicago. 
Moody later conducted revivals throughout the British Isles where he spoke to more than 2.5 million people. In 1875, Moody returned home and began revivals in America's biggest cities. Hundreds of thousands were converted and millions were inspired by the greatest soul winner of his generation. At this time, the general worldview of Americans was shifting away from a Christian consensus. Darwinism and higher criticism were gaining traction, and Moody became the first evangelist to come under attack, accused of making religion the opiate of the masses. By the turn of the 20th century, the mood of the country was changing. Outside the church, it was the era of radio, movies, and jazz age. World War I led to a moral letdown and the roaring 20s. When the era came to an abrupt end on October 29, 1929, followed by the Great Depression, there was surprisingly little interest in spiritual revival. Inside the church, a half-century-long battle raged between evangelicalism and theological liberalism, which had penetrated major denominations. The effect was that 20th century revivals were more limited in scope and lacked the broad impact on society of earlier awakenings. Let's stop there. Okay, so Dwight L. Moody comes on the scene and he spreads here what he's already spread in like the Welsh revival and all of that. But let me tell you, at that time, so we had just gotten out of the Civil War, people are trying to figure out their lives after everything had changed for them. Imagine how many women had to start over or couldn't start over or their sons, their grieving loss, their sons, their husbands. Like, just think of that aspect for a second. Abraham Lincoln. People loved him for what he did. So, John Wilkes Booth shooting him and killing him, the assassination was huge. Like, wrecked people. Much like JFK when that went down. Don't even get me started on that. We're not going there today. But think of America then and how distraught we were as a nation. But it pulled us together. So the people started coming together. They were divided, but they were coming together because they needed one another. Enter in Dwight L. Moody, and he starts preaching to the people. People were getting saved. People were coming. But despite the Darwinism and all the other things being taught to them at that time, they just, they let a man of God who he, God used him to change the lives of millions, millions of people at that time for generations to come. Do you see how important it is that we do a, that we step out and we are obedient because in our obedience, there is always reward for that, but it's not just reward for us heaven gains right so we go into the azusa street revival wait i lied i lied i lied the urban revivals and then the revivals of 1905 1906 so sorry guys word of the welsh revival of 1904 1905 spread to welsh-speaking settlers in pennsylvania and like not in late 1904 and revival broke out by 1905 local revivals blazed in places like brooklyn michigan denver nebraska north and south carolina georgia Taylor University, Yale University, and Asbury College in Wilmore, Kentucky. Billy Sunday, who became a key figure about this time, preached to more than one million people with an estimated one million or more conversions. 
So we had that going on. Like, um, we had just came out of Civil War. Once again, same thing. We're leaning into it. The J, all the things that are changing. And as the years are starting to progress, people, hmm, unless you're rooted and grounded in what you believe in the word of God and you have an active relationship for yourself, nobody can do it for you. You can't impact people if the Lord is not impacting you. If you're not allowing him to make an impact on your life. So people started waning away from that. It felt good in the moment. But as life got harder, people either drew closer to him or further away. Because life tends to do that. And it depends on what voice you allow to speak into your life. If you're allowing the enemy, same thing today. That I mean, people are people. We've been the same. But I can't imagine being in this time with the Welsh Revival, that just, all of these things, you have like the circuit riders at that time too. Like we are just coming into, there's so much going on. We're growing as a nation. We're itty bitty still, like itty bitty in comparison. But we have, we have these people, the circuit riders going out and telling people that spread it across the frontier. Yes, but then that legacy continues and they're going on and doing the things that God has purposed them to do. And it's coming from other countries. This started the Welsh revival, news of it, just the news of it caused revival to break out here. The Azusa Street revival, we're getting into it now, 1906. In 1906, William J. Seymour, an African-American holiness pastor, blind in one eye, went to Los Angeles to... uh, for a pastoral job. But after he preached, he was locked out of the second service. Fun fact, he stayed out in the hall. Like, he stayed out to listen to the sermon. He didn't get offended. He did not get offended that they locked him out. He sat there anyway and listened to the Word of God. Anywho, he began prayer meetings in a nearby home, and the Spirit of God, which they called the second blessing, fell after many months of consecrated prayer. Eventually, the interracial crowds became so large, they acquired a Methodist church at 312 Azusa Street, where daily meetings continued for three years. The resulting Pentecostal movement and the later Charismatic movement, which both exploded worldwide in the 20th century, both trace their roots to this revival. So, you have a man, a black man, come to L.A., to interview for a pastoral job denied doesn't get a fendi pants but instead stays and does what the lord tells him to do and in his obedience he brought racial reconciliation in his obedience not in his offense but his obedience in consecrated prayer he went to the lord and prayed for us to come together just as a human race not as black or white or latino or whatever or italian or whatever he just won as children of god and he stood in that and when he did that things changed because you're still you're high off of the uh there's still the welsh revival is still you're fresh off that and then you have it once again taylor university and yale university your colleges were being impacted at this time too so it was still okay and acceptable for that for you to be your own person in college and not buy into whatever is being taught to you. The post-World War II awakening. Leading up to this, though, 
1918, Spanish flu hits. And all the death of that. From 1906 to 1947-ish. Listen. Chaos. Pure chaos we had. Spanish flu. We had World War... Uh, World War II breakout. We had the whole rock and roll movement. Like, these people are barely coming into the scene, right? Like, it's becoming more acceptable to step out of a boundary that was put in place by a society that deemed your worth, right? So, people are getting edgy. People are stepping out and they're like, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna dance like this. We're gonna do this. We're gonna listen to this music. I'm going to dress like this because I can. So secularism is taking off. It's flying amongst people getting sick. People looking to things to help them deal with the Great Depression. Which, let's tie it into the Great Recession for a second. Let's just go ahead and drop this nugget. In the Great Depression... Churches couldn't even help people because the church was relying on the government to help them. The Great Depression, people lost everything. All of it. All of it. People growing up in that time. I can't even, I can't imagine being a parent in that time. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. I can't. It makes me so sad to think about the the life that these people had to live. But never fear the government's here. FDR got you guys. Let's implement welfare. We'll take care of you. So people come dependent on a government to feed them, pay them, sustain them. Their source didn't come from an independent thing. Remember, the government's tied in to, no, there wasn't the World Economic Forum, but the Bilderbergs, like the Rothschilds. That's where they're funding the banks at that time. Where do you think that money came from? These elite people who were in control at the time, it's been the same. Nothing new under the sun, but never fear. The government's here. We got you. We'll let us take care of you. And the church sadly stepped into that mentality. That is why I remember when I said religious leaders, hmm, religious leaders letting the government impact what they do and what they say is the most dangerous thing for us right now. I'm just going to leave it at that. Actually, I'm not. I need you to go and look at what... I think it's the mayor? No. No, 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 no. Maybe. No, governor. She's the governor. Governor of... Yeah, because no. I know who the governor of New York City is. Um, but the... Or the mayor of New York City is. I know who the governor is too. I can't remember what her name is, but she was the one who was advocating for the vaccine, who said to go and do the things that you know would make God proud. Be the people that God needs you to be. By loving your neighbor this way, you're going to get this vaccine. Go get the vaccine. It's an answered prayer to ending the coronavirus. So keep that in mind. Be very careful about who you let pour into your life and the things you're receiving. Make sure that you are able to stand on your own two feet. Absolutely. Receive word from people that you feel the Lord has led you to, but hold them accountable. If you feel like what they're saying is not so 
not so lining up with the word, definitely be bold enough to correct that. Come together and do what the Bible says. Squash it. And if they don't fix it, that's on them. But know that you did your part. Anyway, back to this. So we had the Great Depression. Government steps in. We have World War II. And after World War II in 1947 and 48, Pentecostals experienced two strands of an awakening. One, the latter rain revival, and the other, the healing revival. Large numbers of evangelicals also experienced revival, resulting in many conversions. It was at this time that a great generation of Christian leaders emerged. Bill Bright began Campus Crusade for Christ. In 1949, Billy Graham's distinguished career, which popularized evangelical Christianity for a new generation, exploded on the scene during his Los Angeles crusade sponsored by the Christian's a businessmen's committee. An estimated of 180 million people attended his nearly 400 crusades and millions more viewed on television. College revivals started as early as 1946, but when the prayer-based Wheaton College Revival of 1950 achieved national publicity, it sparked other college revivals throughout America. So, came out of World War II, we had the... Oh, we had the Holocaust. We dealt with Hitler. Like, we got involved there. We should have absolutely, should have never happened. But people lost, once again, death. And then people are still recovering from the Great Depression. There's so much that ties into that. In a, in a climate where things are so chaotic and so much hate has been spewed, what does God do? God does what he always does. He shows up. Revivals break out. Billy Graham. Look into this one for yourself because I ain't got got time. This is already super long and I'm sorry about that. But Billy Graham single-handedly stopped communism. Dig into that one for yourself. It is wild. I love it and I love how he allowed the Lord to use him to span time. Like generation after generation after generation of people have listened to Billy Graham and he didn't stop he kept going even into the next revival the charismatic renewal and the Jesus movement uh, in the late 60s and 70s more revivals of the national scope developed the first strand was a charismatic renewal which spread far beyond Pentecostal and holiness churches to college campuses the Catholic Church if you don't know about how it reached how it went into the Catholic Church definitely look into that one for yourself and mainline denominations the second strand, the widely publicized Jesus Jesus movement, emphasized turning from drugs, sex, and radical politics to taking the Bible at face value and finding Jesus Christ as personal Savior. Not surprisingly, this revival spread to college campuses, most notably the 1970 Asbury College Revival in Wilmore, Kentucky. Within a week, the revival had spread throughout the entire country. In 76, America elected a born-again president, and evangelicalism has continued to prosper from then to now. Now, let's talk about the 60s and 70s. We had rock and roll. We had all the things of the 50s coming in. People, Elvis is there, like Jerry Lee Lewis. All of these people are coming on the scene, and they're shaking things up. They were all shook up. <laughs> That's good. That was a good pun. But they have that because they're coming back the war. We had people who were so broken coming back from that war. I can't imagine what our veterans are enduring with Vietnam. They're going to Vietnam, they're coming back from Vietnam, and there's chaos, there's racial tension, civil rights movements going on. Think about all the things that happened within the 60s and 70s. Like, my goodness, 
But Billy Graham didn't stop. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, that he didn't stop. He kept going. And then he includes people that you would never think would be out here singing for Jesus, but they were doing it. And people were losing their minds. It's causing some division in the church, but that's okay, too. But because of Billy Graham's faithfulness to continue doing what he was doing, he is going out and he is helping people in california california is where the jesus people movement started and all these hippies who had turned to everything to try to feel something that was missing that only the holy spirit can feel they turned to drugs they had turned to sex like it was all so much they knew nothing else to do and they were turning to jesus and he radically changed their lives but the church does what the church does sometimes hallelujah thank you jesus that god is in control of us and he he comes in he makes a way but the churches were refusing some of these people because they didn't look like them they didn't look the part they didn't sound the same when they were worshiping so we'll talk about that that's another story for another day but billy graham gave them a place by doing all these crusades by allowing them the opportunity to still be who God created them to be authentically and made a place for them to express that in the way that God had given them. And this is where contemporary Christian music started. So the mid-90s revivals, despite the widespread secularization of society since the cultural revolution that began in the late 60s, in the mid-90s, God once again brought a series of revivals, mostly to charismatic and Pentecostal groups. In 94, it was the Toronto Blessing. In 95, ushered in the Melbourne Revival on Rev on Florida's Space Coast, and then the Modesto Revival and the Brownsville Revival in Pensacola, Florida, which recorded 100,000 conversions in two years. College revivals swept across America, starting in the Howard Payne University in Brownwood, Texas, under the preaching of Henry Blackaby, a Southern Baptist. And then you had the Promise Keepers Revival. It was publicized of the mid-90s revivals beginning in 91 when 4,200 men, once again, men paving the way, descended on College University uh, or the University of Colorado to be challenged to live up to their faith. In 93, 50,000 men assembled from every state and 16 nations. In the following years, stadium events were conducted in cities throughout the United States. A spirit of revival and transformation swept across America as millions of men attended. The revival reached its high point on October 4th, 97, as a hundred or one point million, or one million, my goodness, um, or more men gathered on the National Mall in Washington, D.C. By the close of 2000, Promise Keepers reported five million had attended a hundred conferences. An additional one million men have been impacted since. So that leads us up to 2000, right? So we came from the 60s, went into the 90s, and in the middle of that we have contemporary Christian music pop up. We have Christianity becoming more mainstream and that paves the way for God to move in different arenas we still have men, men paving the way to go along these college campuses and do what God intended them to do as men and lead the way to start things, to revive people, to bring back what God had created for them to do or created for them to be and do as men in the first place. So leading up to 2000, 2001, we have the World Trade Center happen in the world. Then, who nobody knew what to do. 
I'll never forget that day. That That's my JFK moment. You know, we have, I remember my teachers and one of my teachers talking about this in school when I was a freshman. She was talking about where she was the day JFK was shot. I know exactly. I was in Miss Payne's oral communications class. And I was just watching that play out and thinking, oh my gosh, this is happening. Now we all have our own thoughts on that. But it brought us together it brought americans together in a way i had never seen people didn't know what to do so they're showing up at churches i've heard my own pastors talk about this that people the day after people or right after the planes hit and the towers fell people were showing up at the church because they're just distraught and from 2001 on we had operation iraqi freedom and then operation endure freedom like we had the wars go in we invaded fallujah like we have political divide like I've never seen we've had so much happen since I graduated high school in 2005 like the world doesn't even look the same as it did because technology has changed but having more access to technology and things has created so much more division than I ever realized it could ever create but there's good news the good the good news is God shows up when things get crazy I mapped it out from 2010 up for you. Some big some big events that we've experienced, that we've walked through. And we, as the church, get to pave the way for this. We get to lead the way. When we do what we are supposed to do, when we get on our face before God and we ask Him to heal our land, He's a faithful Father. What else do we expect will happen? But in saying that, I fully believe what God is waiting for on us to do is to fix ourselves as a church not just my church not just your church but the church as a whole because the people make up the church it's outside the four walls right so we have to be willing to walk with the ones that are the most broken that are going to come from this revival it's an awakening for us we need to be revived we need to be awakened from our sleep because we are a sleepy church oh melanta we got real comfortable and covid pulled that out but since covid hit he's shaking things up if you think about in the in acts people gotten real comfortable in jerusalem they he got they, they liked what was going on there they liked their church service their church services they liked what was happening in there but what did God do? God sent persecution in that time. Stephen being stoned to death paved the way for people to get out in the world and do what they were supposed to do. When persecution hit, they they didn't just like panic and hide. No, they spread. They they got out. They they went out, but it forced them out of their box. And that's what COVID did to us as a church. And we get to usher in we are the hands and feet of Jesus that are going to, we will usher in a revival like we have never seen if we keep contending for it, if we don't get lazy in our faith. Because when we get lazy in our faith, what happens? Salem witch trials. But there's already witch hunts going on out here. We have the power, authority, and dominion to speak into that and say, no, Satan. We know the truth. We know that God moves on our behalf. Look at Abraham, him standing in the gap for Sodom and Gomorrah. If there was only so many. He kept going back to God and he was he was interceding for them. He was standing in the gap. If there's only ten righteous in the land, will you, will you spare the land? Absolutely. God God said, yes, yes, we can do it. But he couldn't find them. But Abraham still did what he was supposed to do. He stood in the gap. He filled the gap. And we get to fill the gap. And then 
be the hands and feet of revival for what is coming. And I believe it's going to be of epic proportions because the world is in such a crazy state. And God needs to not only remind us of who we are and who he is, but he's going to show the world. You ain't going to do this. Mm-mm. I am still in control. I'm allowing this stuff to happen so I can get my church shaken up so they can do what? Go up and turn the world upside down. So that is it, guys. You learned something today. Once again, I don't want you to get scared. I want you to be filled with hope. People are crazy and people are going to do people things. But we are submitted and surrendered to God. And when we are willing to put our will aside for His and let Him be in control of our lives, it's going to be okay. We all win in the end. We win in the end. I keep thinking, and I shouldn't think this way, but I do because I know what comes next and I think about my boys and I try to not get overwhelmed but we need to be real about what's happening around us and we need to be preparing people but I also don't want to be a negative Nancy so I've been really focusing on what my heavenly reward is first of all I get to be with God I get to sit and worship my creator that is that is enough like but there's more streets of gold sea of glass crown a crown we earn crown like crowns and jewels that go based on what we do here and how we do it and i keep focusing on that and i'm like you know it's so much greater and better is one day in your courts i keep that's been my anthem than thousands elsewhere so I keep holding fast to that and I encourage you to do the same in this season I know it's hard I know it's trust me I have to remind myself all the time I have a spirit of self-control and I ain't gonna be the crazy person that the world wants me to be but I encourage you in this season draw close to him he'll pull you in he's gonna take care of you Cause he's a good father and that's what a good father does he protects us and he's faithful and he will never leave or forsake us no matter what comes our way no matter what the political climate looks like or the spiritual climate we serve a good god and he's brought us too far to leave us so he's not going to turn away from us we just have to continue turning to him but i encourage you to do your own research about everything not just the word of God. Absolutely do that. Don't take any of my word for this. For any, any of the scripture or anything that I'm telling you. Like Stephen and Abraham and all that. Go go find the scriptures and the stories for yourself. But also with the media. Make sure you're informed. Not just so you can argue on Facebook with people. But so you can know how to pray. And you know how to help others see what they wouldn't have seen otherwise so that's it guys i am praying that you have the very best week and that this didn't overwhelm you <laughs> but encouraged you it's gonna it's gonna get better for us no matter what so keep that in mind and let's get in praying for you guys i love you guys thank you for listening you guys are the very best you can always follow me on apple podcast google podcast anchor spotify and on facebook at this little light have the very best week.